How wonderful tonight to feel the real personal presence of Jesus in this place. And it causes all of our hearts to rejoice and to be glad. Uh, and I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm glad to see your faces. What, what a faithful, wonderful group of people you've been. I would just love to take minutes and moments um, just to express um, how grateful me and Jenny have been for your every kindness and for every smile, for every outreached hand, for every expression of appreciation for us. Oh, we just feel like, <laughs> who are we? We're just, uh, we're just so grateful to have been given this opportunity and to be with the Scribners these few days is pure, solid gold uh, for me and for Jenny. And then to get to know you and, and watch the Holy Spirit work and just uh, uh, open our hearts together for whatever he had for us. And it has really meant a lot to us to see all the children in the services. And I know that the Holy Spirit has a way to, to touch them in holy places and to speak to their hearts. And I'm just so grateful for them and to hear their laughter and to see them so energized. It, uh, it does something. It does something for me and Jenny. And we're, we're grateful for every last one of you and what we've been praying tonight our big prayer is that uh, from the throne of God a great and mighty healing would come forth upon us uh, our bodies our hearts our minds and our souls and that we we pray that the king of righteousness would come with healing on his wings and that and that the, the brush of those wings and the, the air the, uh, that comes off of those wings that it would be so close to us that we would, feel, we would feel his movement in our hearts and in this place and that we would see him moving um, on the hearts of others, which, uh, which is so beautiful. And toward that end, I've been trying to prepare my own heart for uh, my part of the service and what the Lord would have me share. And I went to a couple of um, passages that talk about the race we're all running. And of course, it's Philippians 3, it's Hebrews 12. Now, I do realize there are other books of the Bible than Hebrews. I know I've spent an awful lot of time there. I spent an awful lot of time there. But, yeah, um, you know, he really captured my heart. Um, you know, in recent weeks uh, and months with, uh, with the message of, of Hebrews. But I'm going to start there at Hebrews 12.1, and I'm only going to read the first verse. But it says, the scriptures say, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And then also uh, Philippians 3, and I will, I will begin reading there at verse 13, where he says, in Philippians 3, verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, 
forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. And I want to focus on this passage, um, a unique uh, Greek expression. Um, it, it isn't found much if, or if anywhere else in the scriptures, but it's right here. And Paul grabs it and he sanctifies it and uses it to teach a very important lesson. And it's, the, it's the Greek expression, ep ek tesis, ep ek tesis couple of suffix prefixes thrown on there um, its basic meaning it's a full kind of dynamic word um, the meaning is uh, a uh, there's a steady state um, it's expressed as I'm, I'm straining forward I'm, I'm reaching forward it's a picture of his spiritual life in in this race and I'm reaching out I'm straining is how it comes to us here but it is a state where, uh, it's, a, it's a particular state, but it's a dy- dynamic as well. And that the, um, that the state of our progress in Christ, um, it's assured, it's, it's sound, it's firm, it's, it is full, um, and we can rest in that. It's, it's a sense of our possession it's really real, and it truly is the uh, expression of our journey, but it moves. So you're never at one place, but you, so you're, you're full, but you're never satisfied. That's the, that's the feeling, and that we are in this race, um, we're secure, but we're in motion. We're moving, ep ek tesis, um, out of and toward um, God, yet steady in Him. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful concept that uh, back in the third century, a guy got a hold of, a, a preacher, Gregory of Nyssa was his name. And he got a hold of that and, and studied this passage of Scripture. And he saw all around him change meant one thing and one thing only, decay. Decay and defect. That's what change was in the Greek world. And so if you were alive, if you were on planet Earth, um, and the change that you experienced, change meant one thing. It was a degeneration, a degeneration that was essential to man. But then Gregory started reading his Bible, and he saw Paul's use of this word, this state of constant motion, of continual movement toward God. Uh, And he said, yeah, there is change, Uh, but change is progress and that was a revolution that was Gregory's revolution that change stood for progress and the progress of our soul to God it was a powerful a powerful way 
to see the Christian life. But along this progress, we know, uh, there are things that impede the soul's advance. And before verse 13 and following 13, and in Hebrews 12, 1, we come to understand that there are things impeding our progress on this journey, on this race. And I want to talk just about a few of them and ask you to consider them as the people of faith and see if the Holy Spirit can't uh, find you in one of them. The first, the first impediment to the soul's progress is um, for Paul, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Remember, he went off on his litany of uh, all of his ach- achievements. All he says, I could have, co- not have confidence in myself if anyone could. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then he goes off, for I was circumcised when I was eight days old. And he goes on and on in those verses. And that's one of the impediments I see here in this passage. And that is um, the tendency to hold on to a particular state of grace. To have experienced God in a special way, and to have somehow idolized an experience, uh, an event, uh, and to make that uh, your surety, to make that your security, to make that moment the be-all, the end-all, the do-all for you. And you can see that if uh, you stop there, um, you get stuck. You're stuck, and then there's no dynamism in your spiritual life. There's no movement toward God. There's no epic to you. Um, you're, not, you're not going out. You're not going toward and out of. No, um, you're stuck. And I think we all get stuck, and that is, uh, that is very deceptive when we think, there's nothing better than this. And maybe something like this. I got back in. And we go all the way back or we find that moment. And then you look at the soul's progress since then. And there's been no epic. There's been no movement toward. There's been no growth. It hasn't been existed. It hasn't existed. And we're leaning on something like, a, um, you know, a spiritual victory. We won, we conquered, we crossed some line, and uh, we've got a trophy to prove it. We're in possession of a spiritual uh, trophy. No, that's, that's one impediment of the soul's progress uh, for, for Paul. How much ground have I covered? That's the question. How much ground have I covered? It's a runner. Looking back, I've come so far. I'm, I'm making it. Oh, it's disaster waiting, waiting to happen. But you can feel it. Uh, the runner running the race. It's either, um, either seeing what kind of progress you've made, checking up on yourself, or as Paul says here, it's looking back with regret. 
as an impediment to the soul's progress. And that can, that can really get you stuck. You start thinking for any period of time about, oh, it could have been. Oh, he came, if I had done that, or he came to me then, if only then, if I had. And we look back with this sense of regret of what could have been, of what might should have been, and then for there, we're stuck. We are stuck. The soul is stuck. There's no movement forward because our lives are filled with regret. We're unhappy with some of the choices we've made. We sense a displeasure in ourself. We're, we're really angry at ourself, ourselves. Oh, if I'd only worked harder. If, oh, if I'd only worked in the gym harder. Oh, if I'd only pushed harder. If I'd only done this. If I'd done this and done this. And you can see the soul is not making any progress. You're stuck because you're looking back with regret, what might have been, what should have been. And Paul says, I'm forgetting what's behind. I am, for, I am going to forget what's behind me. The Lord knows what's behind me. The Lord knows his interaction with me. I don't have that anymore. What do I have? I only have the choices I'm making now, that's what I've got. But the soul gets stuck in regret, in the what could have beens and what should have beens. Then, then there comes a desire, secondly, to stop the forward journey. On a race, if you race race, you start to feel that burn. And, and it's hard. It's hard. And you start to wonder, what am I doing out here? <laughs> I'm running. I'm on this race. I'm on this journey. And it's, uh, it can have its grueling moments. It can have its, its days. And we can become tempted uh, to quit. Now, sin takes the form of pride and we're most familiar with that. Uh, did God say, well, I will show God, I will tell God. That ego comes forward in, in the garden. But something else happened in the garden. It's another side of pride. And it is what we refer to as sloth. And, and sloth is basically the refusal to become all that God wants you to be. That's, that is a part of pride. It's not just laziness. Hear these words. It is our refusal to accept our salvation in Christ by insisting on isolating ourselves in our own trivial concerns, our own comforts, and refusing to live for God and others. That's, that's sloth. Egotism is not only pride, but it's selfish. And small-minded refusal of our destiny as the children of God. Choosing to sink back. Asking to be left alone. It's not only self-glorification. 
It's not only self-promotion. It's not only self-sufficiency. But it's a self-obsession that looks like self-concern, self-pity, and self-denigration. And we do that. And the soul can't move forward. Whether you puff yourself up or whether you, I'm a worm. I am lower than a greasy spot on the floor. I'm no, I'm no good. I'm no good. That self-degeneration, that putting yourself down, that self-pity. Um, oh, if this, then, then maybe that. No, that's pride in another form. And, and it's called sloth in the scriptures. Or, or apathy. A professor once asked a student to define ignorance and apathy. And the student looked back at them and said, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> and that's part of what our culture is enduring now. Is, is apathy. They used, they used to call it in, uh, in the ancient church. Um, a saity. Or as they like to call it. This is Leighton Ford. Uh, this is uh, Billy Graham's uh, uh, brother-in-law. He refers to it. Um, a saity. As the noonday demon. The noonday demon. That will stop you in your tracks. In your race. It's susceptible in the middle of our days to the subtle wiles of the noonday demon. It's the midpoint of life. And it comes to us all. It's, it, we mistake the adrenaline high of ministry for the Holy Spirit. The soul weariness. You get worn out. It's the noonday demon. You do get tired. You become exhausted. You start to really feel the burn. It's known as the sin of the long haul. It's apathy. Not just in the church, but all around us, there's this moodiness and distaste for spiritual things. And it, it impedes the advance of the soul. It slows you down. Finally and quickly, it's the failure to appreciate our embodiment. Or understand its weaknesses. But you know, we're not resurrected. We're not in our resurrected bodies. We are as we are. And, and what impedes the soul's advance is to imagine that we're superhuman. We, are, we can do all things. We can do it all. Um, but no, that's, that's surely to derail us from our, from our race. It's a, it's a failure to appreciate that we live in the age of the Spirit. And one of these days, we will have resurrected bodies. 
all of our bodies will be resurrected. And Jesus is the foretaste of that resurrection. He now is resurrected in bodily form. And none of us know what the Father (laughs) brought together to create his form, his corporeal reality. But he exists and he is the foretaste for you and for me. And one of these days we will have resurrected bodies. But today is not that day. And, and we get off course. We impede our journey when we don't accept the fact that we're human bodies. And they're frail. And they're fallen. And they're given to faulty judgment. And in that sense, we're not perfect. We're, we are not perfect. And so we have to give ourselves room to be embodied as we are. To be who we are. But you're like me. It's not good enough. Is it? No. You imagine something more of others. And you imagine something more of yourself. And do you know where that's going to put you? It's going to impede your spiritual advance. It's definitely going to impede your spiritual advance. And then, I know I said finally a moment ago, but I really meant before the Hebrews 12 passage, <laughs> finally. <laughs> the, the, fourth, the fourth thing that I wanted to uh, share from God's uh, holy word and this, this race he's running is this idea of strip off Every weight that slows us down. Every weight has a number of connotations, such as a hindrance or something that is easily distracting. The idea of something additional and added encumbrance, much like additional bulk in size. But this more likely refers to something added, like a garment that restricts movement. Now think of the runner. In a race, who has a garment on that restricts his, his movement. He can't flow, he can't run the race that is set before him. And here the writer says, um, strip off that encumbrance. Strip it off and run your race. Now our culture has assigned a number of names to this kind of weight. See if you recognize any of them. Impediment. Albatross, a hang-up, a limitation, ball and chain. And other descriptors become very popularized in our more psychologically aware 21st century. And that is the idea of baggage. We got that baggage we're going to have to deal with, right? Here's a decent understanding of baggage. I'm going to lift it from Les Parrott. No one says it better. He's an acclaimed marriage and family counselor and author of several best-selling relationship books. He says this. Baggage, I hope you can hear it. It is the residue of early years that impacts us today. Simply put, baggage is a collection of unpleasant memories from the past. 
that continue to negatively affect our perception of and behavior in the here and now. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 and Hebrews 11, in order to be thoroughly biblical, we've got to take a peek at what baggage is there. Chapter 11 is commonly known as the faith chapter. It recounts the faithful in summary form, three Old Testament eras. Verses 1 through 7 is the beginning of the world, Genesis 1 through 12. Verses 8 through 22 is the period of Abraham and the patriarchs, Genesis 12 through 50. And verses 23 through 31, it's the period of Moses through conquest. That's Exodus through Joshua. The chapter begins to define faith in the overarching context of God as creator of the universe. We also understand the worldview of the biblical writer is that what we see or observe concretely was not made out of what is visible. It moves to Abel, the first victim of violent homicide and the issue of sacrifice. Enoch is then listed as the Old Testament guy who didn't die. We are being introduced to the God who exists. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now consider the story of Abraham who was as good as dead. He is seen as a stranger an exile on the earth, but nevertheless was able to greet God's promise from afar. In a sense, he did not receive the promise, but lived in and through the light of that promise. We see this as he grappled with the prospect of killing Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. These examples, I believe, point us in a couple of directions as we consider the weight that characterized their journey, as we considered their baggage. The weight that accompanies earthly life as we experience it, as opposed to the desire of home and the heavenly city. We're homesick. They were homesick. But there is a weight that accompanies this earthly life. And we are asked to bear that weight. We're in a sense and we're asked to run that race. But there's also the weight that seeks to bring about God's will through purely human means. This is the best context we can have for strip off the weight, the baggage that so easily besets you. These two things. It is crucial to remember that the faith is more than a substance that characterizes the internal life. Faith is more than a conviction. It is obedient action regardless of knowing outcomes. Effective faith, in a sense, makes the future present. Faith, it greets the future from afar. This kind of faith allows itself to be governed by an unseen reality. The potential of a life of faith. Without God, without faith, it is impossible to please God. How can you even know God? But faith actualizes promises. It objectifies the unseen. And it realizes the future. 
A number of things impeded, encumbered, and hindered the Old Testament faithful, we learn in this passage. The desire to find fulfillment through the created order. Allowing disorder to be determinative for life. Susceptibility to elevate human understanding, ignoring human limitation. And figure God out of the picture completely. You have probably already discovered what has proven a hindrance to your progress in belief and action. Most of us are all too aware of our hang-ups and baggage. You may find some relief to see that such things are common to every person in every age. You are not so special that such things don't affect you or enter into your life. At some point, in some degree, we all face that baggage. But here, in Hebrews, the writer is careful to distinguish between weights and the sin that affects every human being. This is important in that it indicates the amoral nature of baggage. It is neither evil nor virtuous. To have baggage is not evil, but it's certainly not a virtue. You may feel a certain way, but God does not condemn us for our feelings. We're not under condemnation because of how we feel. No, we may feel even sometimes that our, our baggage is a virtue, <laughs> but it's not. In all of this, it is necessary to deal with excess baggage since it impedes the progress away from evil inclinations and susceptibilities to holy action. You're stuck. You're impeded. You can't move. You've got too much baggage. What does baggage entail? You may take a closer look at personal appetites. You have to be somewhat introspective. What's my personal appetites? This may come as a surprise to some of you, but you cannot always have what you want. <laughs> Nor should you. It's a good thing for us to remember. You remember C.S. Lewis and the abolition of man. We make men without chest and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Men without chest. There's no chest, just all gut, all appetite, all stomach. The little boy asked the question, what is the meanest animal in the world? And the answer is, it's a crocodile. And they asked, what's that? And they said, a crocodile head on one end and an alligator head on the other. And they said, how does he use the bathroom? <laughs> he doesn't. 
That's why he's so mean. <laughs> All gut. Men without chest. All appetite. All appetite. Consume. Take. It's almost gluttonous. All appetite and most of them insatiable. When you're all gut, there's never, ever enough for you. Then there's the matter of devotion to some pursuit, which is in danger of absorbing the mind. This is not a very good illustration, but it came to my mind. And I thought, I'll share it. But it, it stretches back a long, long time ago to high school days. They were, they were just getting computers in our little high school. And we wanted to get signed out to go see what's on the, what's on the computer. And there was this game, Centipede. Oh, Centipede. That little guy would go around and he'd eat a flower. He'd grow every time he ate a flower. But you were moving through a maze. And once you got, but if you met yourself again, ah, you'd go back to just this size. And you'd go back around, and if you hit yourself again, and after three hits, you're done. Well, I've worked that so many times, I could fly through that. And I went to the first level and the second level and the third level. And then I noticed one night, I was laying in bed, and I was trying to fall asleep. Oh, but there it went. <laughs> there that worm went all over that screen, and I got it without hitting myself. Then I went through the second screen, and I was just a teenage boy, but I remember feeling like this shouldn't be in my mind. This is not what, this is not what I should, should have in my mind right now. And... Um, and I think sometimes we, um, we can give uh, the absorption of our mind to things that shouldn't absorb our mind, our minds. Also, there's the issue of affections, our loves. Our loves, our infatuations that may threaten to turn away the heart. You have them and I have them. Have you developed the ability to do without certain things? We're trying to ask the question, what do this, does this baggage entail here? How, how free are you from associations and engagements which hinder the freedom of action? Is there any way, is there any way in your life your actions are not free? You're bound in some way. This is how we try to understand the nature of, of baggage that we carry. We carry it and it, it impedes, it impedes our progress. The truth from the scriptures tonight that comes to us is go on. Run the race. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Are you at the noonday? 
You feel the sun at the highest point of your life? Are you sweating it out? You feel that burn? You're wanting to quit? You're considering your position? You're considering, is this all there is to my spiritual life? I, uh, is this it? And there is, there is this call comes to you from these scriptures is to keep running, keep going forward. Yes, yes, you're, you're satisfied. You're full. Okay, you are full. But you can advance in fullness. You can move on. You can go forward. Brothers and sisters, there's more. There is more for you. He has more for you. Oh, yes, the noonday demon is tempting you to just walk off the field. Move on to something else. Something that might give you more of an adrenaline boost. Or something that may... Um, may somehow sedate your, your pain that you feel some days. But here, brothers and sisters, we're called to not quit and not to look back. Now, before we move into another part of the service, I wanted to share a, a story with you that, that I heard first from um, one of my most favorite preachers on earth, and that's uh, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. May he rest in peace. But I remember Dr. Kinlaw has shared this a number of times in situations where I happen to be hearing him. And it's the story of the great Salvation Army um, hymn writer, um, Grant Orsborn. And the story comes down that, uh, that Grant Orsborn, he, uh, he had been writing a number of hymns. And, and he was very well known. And it happened that um, another person came into the core very near where he was working. And this person was a, a favored son and began to be, uh, receive a lot of press and a lot of appreciation and, and a lot of, lot of love. And somehow, as it happens in the course of human interactions and relationships, a root of bitterness came in to this great man's heart. And, and it began to corrode his heart, began to eat him alive. And then the disruptive presence of grace, he fell on the ice. And they took him to the hospital to recuperate. And it was coming down the pike and a group of... Uh, kids came into the hospital and they were singing songs to cheer up the people who were there and he was laying there with a great distance a great weight weighing down his soul impeding any progress he couldn't budge he couldn't move forward in his faith journey and he said as he laid there the uh, children began to sing and he felt his heart begin to soften toward this person. He began to see himself, how petty, how ridiculous, how, 
how he had become. And he began to pray and ask God to forgive him and to cleanse his heart. And Dr. Kinlaw said uh, he penned a new hymn when something like this, I bet many of you have heard it. Savior, if my feet have faltered on the pathway of the cross, if my purposes have altered and the gold be mixed with dross, forgive me not your service, keep me yet in thine employ. Pass me through a sterner cleansing, if I may yet give thee joy. Oh, it's so precious. The healing that came to his soul and the healing that God wants to bring to us to bridge the distance, to enter into our full humanity in these pre-resurrected bodies, to enter into these loves and help us sort out our infatuations with lesser things, to, to order our loves as he would have them ordered, to enable us to strip off those weights that impede our progress and that keep us, prevent us from running the race. Yes, it's true. We all have baggage. We all have impediments to our faith. And it could be tonight that you're here and you're thinking, um, have, have I, am I in a state of outgoing? Is my heart growing? Am I moving toward God in every way? You could be asking that question and he may be speaking to you about, ah, you know, there's some impediment here. Ah, you can decide. It's not passivity. You can take action. You can have a faith that's active. It's not just my deep faith. You can have an active faith and he can generate that in your heart. And it could be that he wants to heal something in this present embodiment. You want to ask him to touch an area of your life, um, a part of how you think. You want to turn that over. You may want to Say, Lord, here's, here's my soul. I've experienced pain. I'm broken. I would like to ask you to heal, heal my mind, heal my soul, heal my psyche. Heal me, Lord, in every way. Let nothing impede my advance. And if I've faltered, Lord, well, heal me there. Disrupt me in my journey and pass me through a sterner cleansing. If he's speaking to you, um, I know Brother uh, Pastor Richard is coming forward uh, here at this time. If he's speaking to you about healing you at this stage, this noonday journey, 
on your race in any way, I just invite you to respond to him. Uh, Brother Richard.